be thankful for a father in heaven who cares for his children. We should be thankful that he is God. For the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. This is God. This is God. He spoke and galaxies appeared. This is God who spoke in beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea came into existence, who could form man from the dust of the earth and with one rib could form an entire woman. He split the sea in two, causing them to stand like walls so the Israelites could walk through on dry land. This is God brought one city to its knees through the holler and scream of mortal beings, gave one man the ability and the strength to single-handedly slaughter a thousand men with nothing but a donkey's jawbone. This is a mighty God who cares for you. This is who we should be thankful to and thankful for. Hey, good morning, Coastal Church. Pastor Sean here. Great worshiping with you. I wanted to take a moment and introduce our up-and-coming sermon series. We're doing a three-week series on Thanksgiving, just to prepare us, of course, for our Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, one of the things I love about Thanksgiving, it really is the natural uh, overflow of knowing our Savior, Jesus Christ. That, in fact, Psalm 100 tells us that we enter into the gates of our God with thanksgiving into our heart hearts and into his courts with praise. And so to me, if we are genuine followers of Jesus Christ, then the natural overflow of following him is thanksgiving. So let's take these next three weeks, look at the word of God, prepare our hearts to hear from God's word and have hearts that are joyful, filled with thanksgiving. God bless. All right, guys, before we jump into the word this morning, let me let you know about a couple of things that are going on here at Coastal. First of all, we've tried this pop-up shop and you've got one more week, okay? November 13th, available for pre-order. This is where you can get all your Coastal stuff. You can get shirts, sweatshirts. Uh, the costs just go to cover our cost and anything above that goes to missions, okay? So it's for a great cause, great gifts, right? You're getting ready for Christmas. So make sure you get your Coastal stuff. Go coastal.org slash shop. Uh, Family Sunday is coming up in a couple of weeks on Sunday, November 20th. At this service, we're gonna have baptisms. We're gonna have family dedications. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Today is actually the deadline if you're interested in signing up for family dedication, okay? So you can write that on your Connect card or you can sign up online. You do have to be a member of Coastal. But we're super excited for Family Sunday, guys. Those are some of my favorite Sundays all year. So make sure you are here for Family Sunday. And then finally, we have our turkey drive that's going on right now. Uh, you can bring in turkeys anytime from now until November 20th. This is just a great way that we can love and serve our uh, community during this holiday season. So please bring in a turkey sometime in the next couple of weeks. We would be very grateful. All righty. I want to talk to you today about a group of people who had a very deadly and infectious illness that caused them to have to go into quarantine. Uh, it caused them to have to cover their faces when they were around other people, and it caused them to have to social distance. Does anybody know what disease I'm talking about? <laughs> Leprosy, of course. What else did you think I was talking about? We're going to look at Luke chapter 17 at this group of men who had leprosy, 
how Jesus healed them and how they responded. And even as I, I said a little bit tongue in cheek, you guys know uh, we lived through the COVID pandemic together and it wasn't that long ago, it feels like, that we were back in March of 2020, right? And, and the world is just shutting down and we remember the fear and the anxiety and we remember the frustration and we remember the fear of a, what if a loved one gets this? We remember the isolation of not being able to go out and having to stay in our homes. We, all of those memories are very vivid to us. But now I want you to picture leprosy, that by God's command in the Old Testament, they were forced to be outside of the camp. This was a disease that was incurable. This was a horrible fate for any person to have to endure. Yet as horrible as COVID is, and as horrible as leprosy is, let me suggest to you this morning that every human being on the planet is suffering from a much worse illness than either one of those. And that is the spiritual illness of sin. That all of us are born into this world as sinners. Sin is very infectious. It has a 100% fatality rate apart from Christ. And so this morning, here's what I want us to talk about. I want us to look at this story and see how one of these lepers responded to the healing that he received in Christ and see what that has to teach us as followers of Jesus of how we should respond to the salvation that we have been given in Christ. Here's the main point. We should respond to the salvation that we have in Christ with grateful worship, with grateful worship. With that in mind, church, let's look at Luke 17 verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, we want to take today and just say thank you. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that you have saved us from our sin through Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have made us clean so that we can come in your presence and draw near to you in worship. So Father, we love you and we give you all the glory this morning. And I ask that as we study your word this morning, that you would use it not only to inform our minds, Lord, but to, to inflame our hearts with worship and with love and with gratitude for you. Father, I pray that Thanksgiving would not be a day on the calendar, but a way of life for us as Christians. Lord, we love you. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand and apply your word today for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, the first thing, church, that we see in this story is the need for faith. The need for faith. Let me give you some context here. So if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you remember when we studied the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, we said in that sermon, this really unique feature of the gospel of Luke is this long travel narrative that we see in the book. Okay, so in chapter nine, it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. In chapter 19, he gets to Jerusalem and we have the triumphal entry. So for this 10 chapter section, the longest section in the book, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem 
and as he's going, he's teaching and he's healing. So in this part of the story, in this part of the the travel narrative, he's passing between Samaria and Galilee. If you were to look at a map of Israel, Galilee is up toward the north. Samaria is kind of somewhere in the middle. And as he is entering into a village, he sees 10 lepers at a distance. And if we're going to understand this story, then we need to talk for a couple of minutes about the desperate condition that these men were in. We need to talk about the desperate condition that these men were in. So what is leprosy? I know we know our Bibles, we read about it and we see all these things, but what exactly is leprosy? Well, according to one Bible dictionary, leprosy is a slowly progressing and incurable skin disease. Leprosy was a death sentence in those days. It was incredibly infectious which is why in the Old Testament, if you got leprosy, you had to be put outside the camp. That's why these men were standing at a distance from Jesus because it was incredibly infectious. It was deadly. The problem with leprosy is not that it was painful. In fact, the problem was that it was not painful. Leprosy destroyed the nerves so that you had no feeling. And so there are stories of people with leprosy able to like touch a hot stove and feel nothing. It was, and it destroyed and eroded the skin. Praise the Lord that this is rarely seen today because of advances in modern medicine. But in these days, outside of a miracle, leprosy was a death sentence. And not only physically, you were removed from the camp. You were removed from God's people. So the Old Testament law had a lot to say about leprosy. I won't read through it today, but you can write this down. Leviticus 13 and 14. In the Old Testament law, Leviticus 13 and 14 gave instructions to the priest about how to deal with leprosy. And it fundamentally taught them three things. It taught the priests how to diagnose leprosy, how to recognize it and diagnose it. Second, it taught the priests what to do when a person has leprosy or whether it's in their clothing or in their home. And then third, it instructed the priests on how to bring someone back into the community if they happen to be healed, how to diagnose it, what to do about it, and then how to bring them back into the community. And just to give you a small taste, this is the kind of life that a leper was doomed to. Look at these two verses in Leviticus 13. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip, first mask mandate in history, cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This is horrible. I mean, not just physically. Yes, physically it is horrible. But worse than that, could you imagine getting this? Can you imagine your spouse or your child or your sibling or your friend getting this? Because not just physically, but, but socially, you are to dwell outside the camp and live alone. Psychologically, when you see another human being, what you are to say to them is declare that you are unclean, that you are a threat to their safety, so they must stay away from you. What does that do to a person? This is a desperate condition. This is a horrible condition, and I haven't even mentioned the worst part of it yet. You know what the worst part of it is? In the Old Testament, what did it mean to be unclean? What did it mean to be unclean? It meant that ceremonially, you are unable to worship in the temple with the people of God. 
The God who is holy must be worshiped in a way that is holy, in a way that is pure. And so they were to be excluded from the worship of God with the people of God. So to be cast outside the camp was to be removed from the manifestation of the presence of God. This is horrible. This is a truly desperate condition. And I believe, church, and this is the main point I want to make this morning, that leprosy often and ultimately points inward to the much deeper spiritual reality of sin. Because yes, while leprosy destroys the body, sin destroys everything about us. We are born into this world with sinners and sin is assuredly a slowly progressing and incurable disease of the soul apart from Christ. And just as a leper in those days had little hope of recovery apart from a miracle, so you and I have no hope of dealing with our sin apart from a miracle unless someone intervenes. And that's what we're about to see because this is where Jesus steps into that desperate condition and does what only Jesus can do. Next, we see the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus. Verse 12, as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. These lepers must have heard of this traveling rabbi who was going around and he was teaching and he was healing. And so they see him and they have a hope. So they cry out for mercy. And what does Jesus do? This is fascinating. What does Jesus do? Verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. So what's that going to do? The priest can't do anything about it. You remember Leviticus 13 and 14, right? Priests can diagnose it. Priests can kick you out of the camp. And then once you're healed, priests can let you back in. Because earlier in Luke, what does Jesus do when he sees lepers? Luke 5, let's see it. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, what does Jesus do? He does the craziest thing you could do. He stretched out his hand and Jesus, don't do that. Come on. He stretched out his hand and touched him. And you would think by knowing your Old Testament, if Jesus touched him, Jesus would now be unclean. Is that what happens? And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus said, I will be clean. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded as a proof to them. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and he was healed. But here, all he does is say, go to the priest. Now, here's what I think this means. First of all, it shows that Jesus doesn't always heal the same way. There's no magic formula or anything. The power is in the word. But next, by saying, go and show yourself to the priest before he even healed them, I think he's calling them to make a step of faith. He's saying, act as if you are healed. Go to the priest And by the time you get there, you will be healed. And you can begin the sacrifices and the things that were necessary to reinstitute you into the community. This showed the need of faith. And as they went, they were cleansed, the text tells us. They obeyed Jesus, and before they made it there, they were cleansed. Notice, it doesn't just say they were healed. They were cleansed. They were made clean. 
Because this is so much more than just a physical healing here. They got their lives back. They could see their friends and family again. They could worship God with the people of God again. This healing demonstrates the power of Jesus, that with just a word, 10 men were completely healed in a way that all of the medicine of that day was powerless to help. With just a word, he healed them. But it also shows the compassion of Jesus, that he healed these men. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, he healed them, probably knowing full well that they wouldn't be thankful, that they wouldn't be grateful, but he healed them anyway. Church, Jesus Christ is able to heal lepers. But more important for you and I this morning is that Jesus Christ is able to save sinners. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you have done. There is no disease that is too bad for Jesus to cure like leprosy. And there is no sin that is too big for the grace of God to forgive in Jesus Christ because of what he's done. Let me suggest to you this morning that forgiving sinners is Jesus's more glorious work. Because think about it. All it took was one word to heal 10 lepers. But what does it take to save a soul? It takes a death and a resurrection. It's Jesus's more glorious work because it's our greatest need. It's our greatest need. Our greatest need is to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to have our sins dealt with. Think about this. Let's do a thought experiment this morning. Now, first of all, no Sunday school answers, okay? No church answers, no Bible answers. I know you guys are going to think the right answer in your head, but don't do that. Give me your gut reaction, not out loud, in your head. When I ask this question, what is your biggest problem? What comes to mind? What is your biggest problem? Because I know the Sunday school answer is sin. Like, yes, I get it. But when you think that, what really comes to your mind quickly is usually like a financial difficulty I'm in this relationship that is broken, my marriage that is struggling, my job, whatever it might be. We tend to think of these things, a physical health problem that I have. That's my biggest problem. And here's the deal. Let me suggest to you this morning, if Jesus were to come and to fix that problem right now, whatever it is, and your sins still weren't forgiven, you'd be on your way to the lake of fire. Pastor Tito told us about last week. Do we really at a gut, at a heart level, understand that our biggest problem is our sin and our greatest need is the gospel? Because if we did, we would be far more grateful because that is what the response of faith is. Next, we're going to see two responses of faith. When we understand the depth of the problem of sin, when we understand what we have been saved from, There should be two responses to that faith. The first is gratitude. Gratitude, verse 15. Then one of them, that is one of the 10 lepers, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So here's the deal. I don't even think he made it to the priest. Like Jesus would go to the priest. I think he's still going to go to the priest because Jesus told him to. But he was so excited when he saw that he was healed. He turned around when he saw that he was healed and he came back and he praised God and he thanked Jesus. But the text gives us a really important little statement at the end of verse 16. That's so important to understand the story. It says, now he was a Samaritan. Who cares? Why does it matter that he was a Samaritan? Here's why. The Samaritans were despised 
by the Jews. There was a great deal of racial animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Who were the Samaritans, by the way? Well, in the Old Testament, just a little Old Testament history, after King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was broken in two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom in the 8th century was conquered by the Assyrians and taken into exile. And when they were taken into exile, the Assyrians allowed some of the Jews to remain, but they imported in people from other countries. And eventually they intermarried and they had their own religion that was a syncretistic blend of Old Testament faith and idolatry. So for the Jews, they viewed the Samaritans as traitors and as idolaters, and they absolutely despised them. Let me illustrate it with another passage from the gospel of Luke earlier in Luke chapter nine. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. All right. So the disciple of love, John uh, and his brother, this village is inhospitable. So they want to nuke them. I love just the arrogance here of like, hey, do you want me to tell God to throw down a fire as if they had that? on, you know, command or something. That story always amuses me a little bit, but it illustrates how much they, even Jesus's followers, not just the Jews, really, even Jesus's own disciples, like a few weeks before this, maybe how much they despised these people that they wanted to destroy an entire village just for being inhospitable. Jesus knew about this animosity and that's why he loved to make the Samaritan the good guy in his stories. What's the parable about being a good neighbor again? The good Samaritan. And so he loves to point out that the leper who was grateful was the Samaritan. Now the text doesn't say this. This is Pastor Nate's speculation. I think that the reason why he highlights that he was a Samaritan is because the other nine were probably Jews. In other words, they should have known better. They had the Old Testament. They had the true worship. They should have known better. And yet this Samaritan of all people is the one who gets it the one who was grateful. Church, this man models for us what our response to salvation should be, which is gratitude, which is thankfulness. When we understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we should be thankful. Look at Colossians 2. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Here's the key abounding in thanksgiving. NIV says overflowing with gratitude. The overflow of receiving Christ is a life full of thankfulness, a life full of gratitude. And on the flip side of that, a lack of gratitude is detrimental to our spiritual lives. And it might be a sign that your heart is not in the right place with God. If you're not grateful, because look at verse 17. Then Jesus answered, We're not 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? The implication here is that if they were truly grateful to Jesus for healing them, where are they? Why didn't they come too? Why didn't they come to express their gratitude? 
Church, I believe scripture teaches that a lack of gratitude, it's not just impolite. It's not just rude. It's one of the fundamental sins of humanity. In Romans 1, when Paul is describing the universal human condition, he makes this comment in 121. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or what? Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, there is this God who has created us, who has redeemed us, who sustains us moment by moment. And yet we never take a moment to say thank you. We don't realize that every breath that we take is a gift from his hand. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't create it. It's all a gift from him. And yet how often are we grateful to him? Guys, this is important for us because we have lived in a a time in history of unparalleled blessing. I mean, think about it. We have luxuries and things that we call needs today that didn't exist 100 years ago. We have so many blessings from the Lord to be thankful for. Has it made us any more grateful as a society, as a people? Have all of the blessings that we have now made us more grateful? In fact, just the opposite. I think we're more entitled. We're more spoiled. We are less thankful than generations before us. More stuff has not made us more thankful. In fact, just the opposite. I mean, think about it. We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks. It used to be, you know, back in my day, you know, I'm getting old, but back in my day, Black Friday was on Friday. (laughs) Now the turkey hadn't even digested and you're at Target tackling somebody to get a good deal on a flat screen TV, like on Thanksgiving night. Listen, we have one day of the year we devote to celebrating gratitude. How do we do it? With greed and gluttony. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Uh, But seriously, guys, we are an entitled people. We are not grateful. We are spoiled rotten. And I say all of that not just to be sitting up here and complaining. I say all that to say this. This is an opportunity for the church to be different. This is an opportunity for us to be different by our gratitude, by our thankfulness, to be missionally thankful to be thankful as an example of how the gospel changes people, about how the way of Christ is a better way to live. So how can we be grateful? Well, first of all, it starts in the heart. It starts with humility. Because fundamentally, entitlement, a lack of gratitude, that's a form of pride. It's a form of pride that says, I deserve something. I am owed something from God and from the rest of the world. It's a form of pride. But humility says, you know what I deserve is hell because of my sin. And anything better than that is a gift of God's grace. When I have that humility, it frees me up to be truly thankful. But I also believe, church, that gratitude has great power and we're often missing out because it tends to be true. I've seen this. I'm sure you've experienced this too. The happiest people I know tend to be very thankful people very grateful, very humble people. And a lot of people I know who are miserable is because they're entitled, because they're proud. It tends to be true that gratitude has great power in our lives and it brings us great peace and joy. But scripture also teaches that gratitude helps us overcome sin in our lives. I'll give you a few examples. What about anxiety and worry? Another huge problem in our world. What's one way that we can fight anxiety is gratitude. Philippians 4, look at it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? 
thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying, instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, express your gratitude to God. It takes you outside of yourself and puts your focus back on God. Instead of living your life with this barrage of what if this and what if that and what if that, live your life by what is true, who God is, and expressing our gratitude to him for who he is and for what he's done. But what about our tongue? What about the way that we speak? You know, Ephesians 5 shows gratitude as a way to fight an out-of-control tongue. It says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be what? Thanksgiving. Instead of the dirty jokes, instead of the gossip, instead of the foul language, let there be thanksgiving. What a great way to fight that temptation. Try this tomorrow morning when you're with your coworkers and they're around the water cooler or whatever, and they're telling dirty jokes and they're gossiping and they're wherever else. Instead of joining in, be like, you know what? I am so thankful that I have a job. You know, I am so thankful for my family. My wife is awesome. I'm so thankful for my kids. I'm so thankful for what God has done in my life. And after they get done looking at you like you have three heads, what a great testimony that is. You don't have to even get into the gospel and they'll see there's something clearly different about you. Because instead of joining in with the complaining and the filth, they see that difference in you of gratitude. Let there be thanksgiving. So this year, let's strive to let Thanksgiving be more than just a holiday that comes and goes, but let's strive to live our lives with this perspective and with this attitude of thankfulness. So the first response is gratitude, but the next response is worship. Notice what the leper does. It says he praised God with a loud voice. It says that he fell at Jesus's feet. These are expressions of worship. His gratitude gave way to worship. And notice a few things about it. First of all, notice how expressive he is. He's not just thankful in his heart. He expresses it. He's giving thanks to Jesus. He's praising God with a loud voice. He's falling at his feet. It's not enough to just be thankful, but it's not complete until it's expressed. And let me just say, husbands, we stink at this. We do this all the time. We do this whole routine of, well, she knows I'm thankful. She knows I love her. I don't need to say anything. Yeah, you do. Like you need to say it because thankfulness is not complete until it is expressed. We need to say thank you. We need to write that thank you card. We need to pray to the Lord and say, God, thank you for who you are and all that you've done. Because here's the deal. That doesn't come naturally to us. We don't have to teach our kids how to complain. Like they're really good at it just out of the womb. They're really good at complaining, but we do have to teach them to be thankful. We do have to teach them to say thank you, to be intentionally and expressively thankful. So here's the deal. Let me challenge you. Be expressively thankful. Worship God expressively. Express it. Be intentional about it. Sing loud. He praised God with a loud voice. So can we. Amen. We're gonna talk more about singing next week. So I'm gonna let y'all off the hook, but, but let's sing loud at church. Let's express our gratitude and our worship to God to other people. I love this quote from J.C. Ryle. He said, murmurings, complaining, and discontent abound on every side of us. Few indeed are to be found who are not continually hiding their mercies under a bushel and setting their needs and trials on a hill. 
In other words, it's so much more natural for us to complain than it is for us to be thankful. Let's try to flip that as believers. Instead of complaining about our circumstances, let's find ways to be intentionally and expressively thankful for what God has done for us. But next, notice this about his worship. It was reverent. He fell at Jesus's feet. It's a posture that suggests humility and servitude, that he was now giving his life to follow Jesus as a living sacrifice. We should respond in the same way. Let our gratitude lead us to worship and to service. Now let's see how the story ends. Verse 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. You know, in the original language, made you well is literally saved you. This is my, uh, what I think Jesus is communicating here. I think that all 10 of these men were cleansed from their leprosy, but only one of these men was saved from their sins. I think that all 10 of them were healed, but only one of them was saved. And that's what Jesus is saying. Your faith has saved you. Your faith in who I am has saved you. And the way that we know that is that his grateful worship is the evidence of a changed heart. His grateful worship is evidence that his heart had been changed by the gospel. And this man was now able to worship God again. He was now made clean. He was now able to come into the presence of God. He no longer had to stand at a distance and cry out unclean, but he was now invited to draw near. Church, let me tell you, a holy God cannot allow sinners in his presence. We will be consumed. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Through the gospel, we are made clean. And now this is the invitation that we have as followers of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus forgives us and he makes us clean and he invites us into his presence. So let me leave you with three takeaways this morning in light of what we've learned. The first one is this, only Jesus can make you clean. Only Jesus can make you clean. This next insight, I just want to give credit where it's due. Ligon Duncan, his sermon, The Gospel by Numbers, is one of my favorite sermons. And really what I'm about to say comes from that sermon. But you remember earlier when we talked about leprosy from Leviticus, you remember the three things that Leviticus taught the priest to do, right? Uh, It taught the priest how to diagnose leprosy. It taught the priest how to, um, what to do when someone has leprosy, namely to remove them from the camp. And then how to readmit someone once they were healed. Well, it's missing something. What does the law not tell the priest how to do? Heal. It tells them how to identify unclean, how to identify clean, but it does not give them the ability to make anyone clean. Why? Because it was pointing forward to the one who was to come, who could do what the law could never do. The one who with a word is able to make them clean, how Jesus can reach out and he can touch a leper and Jesus is not made unclean, but they're made clean. That Jesus can do what the law can't do. Only Jesus can make us clean church. Only Jesus can forgive us of our sins. 
And we can try all we want to make ourselves clean, to clean ourselves up with our good works, with our church attendance, with our religion. We can try all we want to make ourselves clean, but it's never going to work. Only Jesus can make you clean. When we come to him in faith and we say, have mercy on me. Only Jesus can make you clean. He does it through the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus, the one who is both God and man in one person, came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. On the cross, he took our sin upon himself and bore the penalty for it. He rose from the dead three days later so that now when we repent of our sins, when we believe the gospel, when we receive Christ into our life, we will be saved. We will have eternal life. We will be made clean. That's the gospel. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I want to invite our prayer team to come now. You can come and talk and pray with one of these people during the last song or after the service. They'd love to talk with you about how you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The next takeaway is this. Don't elevate the gift above the giver. Is it possible that the other nine only wanted the blessings that Jesus had to offer, but not the salvation that he came to bring? Is it possible that they were like the people in John chapter six, who after Jesus had healed the 5,000, 5, they come to him and Jesus said, you're not actually following me. You just wanted a free lunch. It's possible for us to want the blessings of God without God. It's possible for us to be like the prodigal son who wanted the father's inheritance, but didn't want the father. Church, don't elevate the gift above the giver of the gift. Don't just be thankful for the stuff that God gives you, but for who God is for you. This Thanksgiving season, let's not just be thankful for the blessings, but let's be thankful for the God who richly bestows these blessings. Don't elevate the gift above the giver. Final takeaway is this. Express your faith in grateful worship. Express your faith in grateful worship. You remember the main point, right? We should respond to the salvation that we have in Christ with grateful worship. And I believe that grateful worship is the overflow of understanding what we have in Christ. So here's the deal. This Thanksgiving season, you might be asking the question, well, you know, I've gone I've gotten cold spiritually. I've gotten apathetic. What do I do? How can I become more grateful? How can my worship become more powerful again? Let me tell you. What you need is a deeper understanding of and appreciation for the gospel. It's the gospel. It's always the answer. It's the gospel. Meditate on the desperate condition that you are in of sin. Think long and hard about what Christ accomplished on Calvary so that we could be forgiven and cleansed. Think about the fact that though we come to Jesus as desperate sinners, he says, I am willing, be clean that Jesus came into this world and he was not defiled by sin, but instead he came and dealt with sin so that we could draw near into his presence. And when we do that, we then choose to intentionally and expressively thank God and praise him for who he is and for what he's done. We make this our prayer along with David in Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That's my prayer. That over these next few weeks, we would be genuinely thankful and that we would praise the God who has loved us and saved us in Christ. Amen. Let's close in prayer and then we'll go out doing just that together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life so that we could have eternal life. Lord, thank you that you have given us everything that we need, Lord, that we often take for granted. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your protection. So God, I pray that you would work in our hearts to make us truly thankful this holiday season, Lord. That this wouldn't be just a holiday, but it would be a way of life for us. God, we love you and we praise you. Be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and go out singing and worshiping the Lord together.